So there's lots of different ways you can enter into what poetry is doing, both as language, as wordplay, as imagery, as those feelings that are hard to describe. And so that's why I like poetry. Ah, if only we could take our love of reading to a new level. Well, I've always wanted to start a book club. Book club! For masochists and other deviants. Hello and welcome to the Book Club for Masochists, where we read and discuss all the genres and types of literature, regardless of our actual interest in them. Every month, we read books from a new, randomly picked genre. Then on the podcast, we discuss our reading choices, experiences, opinions, appeal factors, and other related topics as friends and library workers. This is episode number 182, and we are talking about a format, and this time we are doing lyric poetry. My name is Jam. I'm a librarian in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Stolo people. My name is Matthew. I'm a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA. My name is Anna, and I am also in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA, the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples. And my name is Megan. I'm an archivist. I live and work on the unceded traditional territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe, which is also known as the National Capital Region of Canada. Do we have announcements? Book list! Book list! So, we've got in the show notes for this episode and at our website, bookclub4m.com, you'll find a book list of... Uh, books in this genre, or in this case, this format by authors of color. Um, I will say for, for this one, and we'll get into how we define lyric poetry, uh, and, and possibly some, uh, difficulties defining lyric poetry for ourselves, uh, in a moment. But I think rather than, I felt like I couldn't fully assess uh, how well books fit this uh, format without being able to look at them firsthand. And so instead, in the, the show notes, you'll find a book list of poetry books um, by uh, BIPOC authors, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color authors uh, that are, are recent, uh, published within the last few years. Uh, I haven't 100% finished the list yet. It might all be all books published this year, because I'm pretty sure I have like 30 poetry books by by BIPOC authors just from 2023. Yeah, it's kind of uh, easy not to realize how many poetry books there are <laughs> if you're not actually a person who reads them a lot. <laughs> well, they're so thin. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> they get lost on the shelf. Yeah. So uh, if we are done with announcements, the obvious question is, what is lyric poetry? Also, I will say we didn't help ourselves this month. Matthew initially was thinking it was narrative poetry, and we were going around talking about how we had to read <laughs> narrative poetry, and we spent a bunch of time like thinking that way, and then all of a sudden was like, oh, wait, it's lyric! <laughs> oh, no. Crucially, we did not read a single narrative poetry book. No. No. We just like spent a bunch of time looking for like narrative poetry options, and then I we're would, like, wait, wait. I did, at least. <laughs> I would say I spent upwards of 10 minutes doing this, so I don't think it was that much time. <laughs> yeah. So, I when I was looking around, I, I had to get to some, like, real basic, what are the different types of poetry? Because technically this is supposed to be our format month, and so it's supposed to be a format of poetry, um, but lyric, like, in 
In the olden Greek times, lyric poetry was something set to the lyre. But present day, lyric poetry doesn't include song lyrics, despite song lyrics being lyric. I don't know why. No, no one actually seems to have explained exactly why this is. But when we're looking at lyric poetry, we're looking at short poetry that involves thoughts and feelings of a narrator. That's about what I got for, for lyric poetry. So nice and vague, <laughs> I guess, in some <laughs> senses. So uh, this was impossible to, to aid me in any sense in terms of search strategies. I'm just going to say that, like, no one describes their book of poetry as lyric poetry or narrative poetry or whatever the other uh, grand format of poetry is. No help whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of felt similarly. I felt a little lost because, yeah, as you said, uh, lyrics seem to be defined classically, you know, in in sort of antiquity, um, as opposed to like epic or dramatic, which like makes some sense to my brain that that evolved into this sort of modern definition of these like short first person perspective related to personal feelings poems, because that like lyric was traditionally like, you know, lyric set to music, um, but also would have been like, you know, as you know, if it is uh, as opposed to epic, then it's like, okay, then short first person perspective makes sense. It's like the thing that is different from epic, but also stuff gets still, I feel like it's described as lyrical if it has that more musical quality. So I'm not really clear on how much, Yes, I, I felt not clear. I felt like I'm, I'm sort of amalgamating several summaries of definitions from various sources. Uh, and I would be completely unsurprised if an actual poetry scholar or just someone who's more well read in poetry um, would tell me that I do not I do not quite have it. Of note, this is like our hundredth genre or thing format topic episode on the podcast. 182 episodes, but like 100 genres. This is our first time we've talked about poetry. Oh, wow, really? First time. Wow. 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 We've been falling down on the poetry, y'all. <laughs> I guess we need to read more. <laughs> I guess. We probably have a, a few more in our formats list, but we only do one a year. Yes, we also have narrative poetry and poetry. <laughs> <laughs> just all poetry. So just, just those, we only have three. Do we even have haiku or anything on here? No. No. We can add that. Sonnets, haikus, Son yeah, all sorts of things. Although it's harder to do collections of like specific types of poetry because a lot of the times collections include multiple types, so it gets a yeah. little more challenging in that. I so I will say I definitely did the like do a Google search and then look at a bunch of random slideshows that were like <laughs> describing the very basics of poetry because I'm like. It, it, I, maybe I I did study this way back in the long ago days, but it's been far long enough for me to have utterly forgotten everything having to do with how distinctions are made in poetry. Um, so I definitely was looking at that. And then you get to the actual poems and you're like, but is this like their thoughts and feelings or just a random observation about that? Like to, what defines that? And then <laughs> so I spent some time debating that. And then I was like, you know what? It's not worth debating in my head. I'm just going to read some poems that are short and aren't telling a real story. And that's going to count, is it? <laughs> Does um, this exclude, like, can you have funny lyric poetry, do you think? 
there's some reason you cannot? No, none of the stuff I read was even remotely humorous in any way. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe that, and yet I don't see any reason why it can't be. Our limericks, lyric poetry. They're short, they have a musical quality. They may express some thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. I was thinking in terms of my own enjoyment of poetry, a lot of it does have to do with wordplay. And so there's definitely opportunity for humor within wordplay, within lyric poetry. There once was a book club for masochists (laughs) whose host delighted in making lists. (laughs) 50% of the way there. We'll workshop it. We'll get there. I'm sure it'll be included at the end of the episode. Or our listeners can write in the end. Yeah, true. Please submit limericks about book club for masochists. (laughs) This can be a bonus episode. Or haikus, or freeform, like, it's okay. Yeah, um, Sestinas, is that another one? I used to know a bunch of formats. I I did, like, study, at least from a writing perspective, I studied poetry for a bit in undergrad. Um, But I still feel like it is, is, and not just lyric poetry, but I feel like in general, I think of poetry as, as esoteric. Like, there's always something I am not getting. Um, and I don't know how much of my uncertainty around this particular format around lyric poetry is like, yes, this is a whole field with a whole history that I'm only casually acquainted with and how much is due to like a cultural bias about poetry being inaccessible, which I think can also be like harmful and keep people from reading it and enjoying it. And if the poetry is accessible, then it's not good poetry is the other thing that can happen sometimes. Mm, Right. And I'm just going to say out loud, like, whatever kind of poetry you enjoy, if you enjoy it, that's great. (laughs) There's no reason for you to pursue poetry that you don't don't enjoy just because it makes you feel like it has some sort of cultural cachet or something. Pick the stuff that you enjoy. Then why did I read all these poetry books this month? Because you're in the book club for masochists, Matthew. Please refer to name of podcast. Yes. This is advice <laughs> for other people, not us. <laughs> and how are you supposed to find the stuff that you enjoy unless you explore a whole bunch of stuff that you're not sure if you're going to enjoy yet? So my um, search strategy was we went to one of the local public libraries and I went to the poetry section and I pulled off basically any thin book from like the last 15 years. And then I went to the new section and I just took all of them. You basically wiped out one of our local public libraries of all of their poetry collection. Like they only had like 12. I only took 12 books. They did not have that many. But yeah, also nobody else can borrow poetry right now from that that (laughs) branch. (laughs) Well, like there was older stuff, but if you wanted anything new, it's all gone. It's all in our house. Uh, They do tend to be such little thin books that it's easy to like start a stack and then be like, oh no, I have like 30 bucks checked out. (laughs) It's only like, you know, half a foot tall. <laughs> it's not even heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We skipped over background, though. Yes, we did. Uh, but I was going to say real quick about that, that also the similarly a nice thing about that, though, is that these are often quite short, and you can kind of get a taste of them very quickly. So you can pick up a book and read two or three of them in a very short period of time and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling these. They're doing nothing for me. Or be like, there's some interesting stuff in there. I think I want to keep reading this one. Um, so it's not like as time consumptive, but it is like your 
brain consumptive, like <laughs> trying to get your head to wrap around a different way of using language and understanding like what's going on without being literally told is like a little bit of effort. So you wanted to go straight into search strategies here, Matthew. I have no background. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Nothing at all, huh? The one thing I remember um, is reading a like epic narrative poem in one of my Russian literature courses in university that was like 200 pages long. And I got to like, I think I was over 100 pages in before I realized I'd read it before. Like the year before. Um, I read a book, uh, 19 Ways of Looking at Wang Wei, a few years ago, um, which was about translation of poetry um, that I really enjoyed. And that was taking like a one very short nature poem um, and looking at all the different ways of, of translating it into other into English and other languages as well. So that was that was really cool. But that was more about the the work of translating something culturally and lyrically and things like that than the actual content of the poem in some ways. Also, I just read the same poem like 30 times in that book. I don't think there, I don't know if there were any others. You also really enjoyed that book. A plus I recommend it. I think both Anna and Jam have sort of literature slash creative writing academic backgrounds, but probably you guys had slightly different experiences we're just <laughs> like raising eyebrows and moving our heads at each other just to try to signal who's going first is the raven lyric poetry yes i think i saw it actually as an given as an example of lyric poetry in one of the the definitions i read i would not have thought that it's so long well we probably all had some amount of this that we were like required to read in our education at some point or another uh, however much we actually remember reading these or like what we read may vary significantly. Um, I did take, I think, a couple of classes on poetry in undergrad and studied it and wrote some and did some small like self-publishing or publishing campus like magazines and stuff like that. Um, but yes, also undergrad was a very long time ago. <laughs> Uh, so do I remember much of anything from that? No. And have I continued to read poetry much since then? No, not really. Uh, I would periodically for a while I would fall in and out of like trying to get myself to read it again, but I just never, it never became a habit and never kind of situated itself in my reading life. So not much. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, my my major in, in undergrad was in English and, and did creative writing. And I took a few poetry courses and I wrote like primarily, I feel like primarily poetry and um, uh, pl playwriting and screenwriting in undergrad, which is not what I write anymore. <laughs> um, I have not written either of those things in quite a while. Um, as far as reading it, I, I know like, I'm, I recall, I recall reading it, um, but I feel like didn't never spent as much time on it as um, other other forms. And um, 
Yeah, I just pulled up my Goodreads history quickly, and it, it, I feel like I've averaged uh, like one poetry book every two years uh, since since leaving undergrad. Um, so not super frequent, but like we'll we'll dip back in once in a while if if something gets recommended to me. I think most of the things were things people had recommended to me. Um, or something catches my interest. Uh, I I did want to mention for my 24th birthday party, 24 is my favorite number. And I felt uh, empowered to like have a very special birthday party for 24. And uh, I recall for my 24th birthday, uh, I served like, exclusively red wine and uh for for drinks i said you know served food um uh but it was a it was a a wine party um and asked everyone to bring and recite out loud their favorite poem mine was the fish by elizabeth bishop great poem probably lyric poem i don't know i said so confidently that the raven poem is a lyric poem but it does it does have like a narrative it does feel like you could call it a narrative poem. Um, so I don't, again, not my area of expertise, at least not anymore. No, I don't think any of our real area of expertise, but yeah. Um, I have really fond memories of a lot of children's poetry. So like A.A. A. Milne um, and Shel Silverstein um, mm, and then yeah. nonsense poetry in general. And I know I've read some, like, epic stuff, like Dante's Inferno. Um, not that I would remember anything about it now, but it looked like such a cool book, I couldn't resist. And then, um, in one of my previous jobs, I was responsible for purchasing poetry for the uh, library system, and so I felt real... Um, sense of obligation to read a lot more poetry and it's just sort of something that I've kept up um, also when I was an undergrad I got really 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 into deaf poetry jam which um, I think is an in-person thing but I consumed it through YouTube and it's just like slam poetry so a lot of slam poetry through the internet and so I picked up a couple of favorite uh, poets, and it's a uh, noticeably different experience to consume poetry from a page than from when it's being performed, even in comparison to poetry readings that I've been to compared to the kind of performance that a slam poetry event might engender. So that was my main background in poetry. Um, nothing really critical or uh, academic, just pure enjoyment. I think that listening to poetry is a very different feeling, at least for me, than reading it. Um, because to me, so much of what I think poems want is for certain aspects of it to be like emphasized and thought about and like by listening to it they can add in pauses and they can give it like the the feel the motion that they want it to have whereas when you're reading it you, you can't you don't necessarily know that in the same way uh -huh. there's some stuff they can do with the space on the page and the way the words are emphasized but you're right there's a lot of interpretation that can go on with a with a performance yeah um 
I almost always read poetry out loud to myself because I usually can't figure out like particularly the commas and the periods in there and how they make the flow of it fit together and the sentence structure work uh, in relation to the line breaks and things like that, unless I read it out loud. And then during the process of reading out loud, my brain somehow pieces all those things together. And so otherwise, it's sort of like, just nonsense, and I can't figure out how the pieces fit together. And then when I read it out loud, I'm like, Oh, okay, that's what that's what's going on. <laughs> this is this relates to this part and is referring back to this other thing over here. Got it. I'm following. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had pieces where you could feel like there was a rhythm to it. And so I sort of had to speak it out loud. And it was just so much more fun that way. Yeah, I also feel like even just not even just like once I know what it means, if I reread it silently, it still is just not the same experience as reading it out loud to myself. I feel like it's a much different experience. So how did we find stuff? I had them in my house. So I have uh, it, a couple years ago, I think back towards the beginning of COVID lockdown stuff. Um, I believe that's when I got these. I was sort of at that time in this phase where I was trying to um, purchase a bunch from my the local indie bookstore where I lived at the time in, in Las Vegas. Uh, shout out to Writer's Block, still possibly my favorite local indie store that is no longer my local. Um, and so I was buying, kind of trying to regularly purchase some things from them um, and hoping that, you know, they weren't suffering too much from the lockdown situation. And somewhere in there, somehow, I stumbled across a couple random re recommendations for poetry books. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I might try that. So I bought those. And uh, then they sat on my shelf. And I did not read them. <laughs> so this was an opportunity for me to read them. But I cannot say where I found them because I do not remember. It was much too long ago. It is lost into time and probably into COVID in general. Um, my memories of how I, I read these, but I only did read one of the two this time. I'd actually read a little bit of the other one. Um, the other one is, I'm actually not sure how to say this person's name. I should have looked this up before, but I, I didn't think of it. It's Hyde E. Erdrich, but it's spelled H-E-I-D. E period Erdrich. So E is like an initial. So it's not Heidi Erdrich. It's Hyde E Erdrich. Um, and this is called Little Big Bully. Um, and I've read a few of these before and really enjoyed them. But uh, this time I, I got into a different one and read the other one of the two that I had purchased. So that's how. I just realized, remembered, I just remembered the one time we have done something poetry related on this podcast, which is four years ago, we put out a Halloween poetry episode. I did not remember this at all. Oh, right. You're right. Where I like played the host of a spooky narrator. Someone read The Raven, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I read The Raven. We each read one poem and the show notes do not list them because I think some of them are in copyright. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, for extra spooky mystery reasons. <laughs> totally. But yeah, there's a link in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, it's, it's only 20 minutes long. Lots of sound effects. <laughs> Not for the poetry, for like the, the framing sequence. <laughs> it's like Tales from the Crypt for poetry. 
Um, I don't fully remember what my search strategy was. Uh, I need to write things down. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like when I was looking for books for the book list, um, or maybe this was even before that, I feel like I, I was trying to search like lyric poetry or lyrical poetry. I definitely checked out some books that are m more the the sort of traditional old classic, however you want to describe it, uh, definition of, of lyric poetry. I have like an anthology of like Greek lyric poetry that I did not read. <laughs> um, um, and some other like um, specific authors that, uh, you know, were, ha had a specific collection of so-and-so's lyric poems. Um, someone who has a large, a large body of work of, of lyric poetry. Um, but ended up like reading things that were more contemporary um, and uh, things that were like on my to-do list, to-do list, to-read list. Um, check some of those out. Yeah, I feel like searching weird poetry, I found some things like that. I found some, like, I felt like for more contemporary um poetry publications if people were using the term lyric or lyrical it was like in a review or like the the blurb um and not usually as like a a subject heading or or more formalized um description um so i just ended up going with uh the ones that that uh called out to me the ones that i was i was most interested in reading not necessarily the ones that i thought fit the definition of of lyric poetry best yeah one of my weaknesses is that poetry books tend to have really good titles. Mm. Um, so that was a factor. I did, um, because when I first read the definition, I was like, oh, short poetry about feelings. So like Rupi Kaur, the really popular Instapoet from a couple years ago. So I went looking for some uh, lists of poetry that was similar to her style of poetry um, and use that to help search for things. And then I found uh, an academic who had this website that's like School of Poetry, who had a few things that were recommended. And I went after, I tried to target um, some stuff that had won like awards or poet laureate or that kind of external recognition as well. So I ended up with a whole lot of different things. So it was good they were shorter. Now we get to figure out how many of them we can talk about. I only finished one, so <laughs> for me, it was just the one I will talk about. How many did you read, Matthew? Um, I finished two entirely, and I read parts of two others, but I have literally nothing to say about any of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's untrue. I liked the introduction to one that talked about the issues with translating, so... Mm. Mm. Uh, I thought that was an interesting introduction by the translator, and the history of that poem poet was actually kind of actually interesting as well. But the actual poetry, I don't have anything to say about. So, wah wah. I took pictures of a bunch of uh, pieces that I thought would be fun to talk about, and then I realized I couldn't read the whole things on the podcast because copyright reasons. And then I was like, I don't mm -hmm. know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I think within this context, um, like review, like you can read a poem from a book. But is it review? This is a review. Yeah. Okay. This is educational. Yeah. Like we're discussing and reviewing and like it's within the, the con, like the copyright permission things. What am I wording? What? Help. <laughs> Fair use. 
Yeah, that sort of thing. What is it in Canada? Because it's something slightly different. Fair dealing. Fair dealing. It is stricter in Canada. But still, like you have to be able to to reuse things when you're talking about it. Um, so yeah, because I read um, all or part of twelve books, so you don't want me to do that. Except for brief passages quoted in a newspaper, magazine, radio, television, or website review, um, I think we count as one of those, probably. Or a website review, technically. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's probably what we fall into, website review. We still feel like it, if I was doing a review, I would not publish a full poem. I would, I might publish sections of it or, or highlight specific lines. Yeah, because a full poem feels like equivalent to publishing like a full short story or a full, you know, novella. You gotta pay, gotta pay a person. Yeah, it's a hard thing to say because some poems are like you know like four lines long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many? How many did you did you end up reading, Megan? Like 17, I think is the number Megan uses. <laughs> I mean, technically 17, but like on paper, 12. But um, it was interesting, Matthew, you mentioned the book of poetry that was mostly about translation. And one of the ones I really, really liked um, is called Entre Rivre and Shore by Dominique Bernier-Cormier. And uh, the author is Acadian who is in conflict over the fact that their, like, maternal language is French, but they work in English, and so they're grappling with how it feels to be between the two shores of these two languages. And so um, the book is a series of poems and um, emails that his father is writing him about his father's experience being a francophone and having a career that was largely in English. Um, and so the author does a really fun thing when you're bilingual enough to make it work is that tension between the translation and how the translation works and then how, um, choosing to write poems with both languages at the same time is an entirely different experience. So I found that really, really interesting. And I guess I can read just part of one that's called Hybrid. Comme je disais, the important thing is savoir se fendre le cerveau in half. So he's basically saying the important thing is to be able to cut your brain in half in order to grapple with the two parts. I understood part of that. <laughs> Frongly. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't get exposed to much Acadian um, people or language growing up because I grew up in Quebec and so did not realize how much Francophone communities there were outside of Quebec. But I spent some time in Moncton and the way that Acadians use English um, within how they're speaking is, is different than how I'd heard Franglish in Quebec francophone communities. Is that Chiac? Chiac, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I think we've lost like 97% of our listeners right now. <laughs> did you have more to say about the book, uh, the, the intro about translation, Matthew? Or did you want to name what that book was? I feel like that's a good segue. Sure. Um, so I read uh, Let Us Believe in the Beginning of the Cold Season, which, as you said, uh, good na- titles for, for these books sometimes. Um, and this was written by uh, Faro uh, Farakzad, uh, who was a Iranian Persian poet, uh, and it was translated by Elizabeth T. Gray Jr. Um, and this was uh, the 
original poet was an author in the 1950s and 60s um, and then died uh, in the 1960s pretty young. Um, but it's apparently a very famous poem, poet, uh, in the area. And, uh, but there hasn't been like a lot of translations into English from as far as I know. Um, and so there was an introduction that talked about, um, you know, how to, that gives some biographical information, but also talked about like the issue of a translation and things like that. And, and that's honestly the thing I think I found most interesting about these books was like, you know, how do you, how were the poets using, um, the layout of the page? How were they using punctuation? How were they using capitalization? Um, and all those different things. Cause, you know, sometimes you would be like, Oh, this time they haven't capitalized anything in this poem versus one where they have used capitalization. Um, and that was interesting. And so like this time also, like when you're translating from another language, there's an entirely extra thing. And especially for in this case, like a different alphabet, um, there's this extra element of like, how do you, try to convey the meaning of the original poet um, into another language. Uh, and there's also a bunch of like notes in the back that try to explain some of the cultural references and things. I'm going to pick the, the worst example because it was the one that stood out at me, really. Um, Plasco factory. This was the largest plastic factory in Iran at the time. Plasco. <laughs> like, honestly, that, that really says everything about where my interest in poetry lies, that I'm just like, oh, tell me more with this plastic factory. <laughs> Does it have a really cool brutalist architecture? <laughs> no, like honestly, like the poetry in this is like a lot of it is is fairly um, political and stuff as well. And I feel like I did not have enough um, context, despite the introduction, about what life in Iran in the fifties and sixties was like to truly understand aspects of this. Um, the one that mentions the the plastic factory uh, begins in this translation by saying. Victory. I registered myself. I adorned myself with a name on an ID card. My existence distinguished with a number. So hail to number 678 issued at Precinct 5, resident of Tehran. And I'm like, oh, there's like a lot of stuff that this is talking about that I do not understand. It's like when you're reading Shakespeare in in high school or whatever, and there are so many footnotes. So there's a lot of political satire. Um, in this poetry that I'm just not understanding because I don't have enough like historical or cultural context. But I do love the idea of writing a poem about having to like register yourself with the government. That that appealed to me more than most of the other poetry I read, I think. I'm not explaining this well. <laughs> yeah, I think Anna read me a poem from somebody about like, what was it, like finding a file called Untitled on your computer and not knowing what was in it. Like I'm like this is A plus poetry right there. That that's that's what I want to read. <laughs> None of the other stuff I've read like had any like impact on me. Like I think that poem would have, or that sort of style of poem. <laughs> there needs to be a, a slight cyberpunk aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like I've always described like uh, my ideal form of poetry as like uh, like nature poetry written by somebody that lives on a generation ship and has never experienced nature. Um, which is like the most brutally depressing poetry like you can really think about, but it's all just like like oh like the weird metal hallways and stuff. So I feel like that is an ideal segue for the one that I read, since he's referring to a poem that does come out of the book that I read. So I read Ledger poems by Jane Hirschfield, twenty twenty uh, is the copyright on this one. So in this collection of poems, it's very much set in the. Um, era of Trump is the president <laughs> and climate change is happening and there's a lot of unrest and <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff going on 
Um, so you can feel that being commented about in here, but so is kind of just the rest of life because it's also got a chunk of it that's about, um, just more mortality and growing older and, and looking at the world through that lens and, um, a lot about nature and appreciation of our place within it and our ability to just observe it and how amazing just the fact that we can even observe it is and things like that. Right. So like there's a lot going on in here. Um, but it does have a little bit of a placement in time that I can still relate to for my current place in 2023. <laughs> um, it is broken sort of into sections in here. None of the poems are, I think only a small handful of them are more than one page long. And even when they are, they're usually with lots of space and very few words. So these go really fast. <laughs> um, but despite that fact, uh, the words are very carefully chosen and are often quite dense. And so they're, and the way that it's structured is often a little dense. So these are ones that definitely were helped by me reading them out loud to kind of figure out what is the flow of how a sentence should be read um, in this. But it, well, times, there were times I couldn't penetrate that and get through and figure out where, what it was meaning. <laughs> through that but there were many times when i could and it was very enjoyable um in those instances and very beautiful and uh definitely had this moments of like feeling like there was a touch on something that felt like something i had always known or thought about but never been able to place uh, or make concrete in any way and that's very rewarding i think that is like the, one of the great rewards of poetry is having those moments. So I definitely had those experiences in here, and I feel like this is one I could return to and keep trying to unpack to see if I can get more of those out of that or to re-experience some of the ones I appreciated. Um, I thought for just giving a tiny little taste of some of these um, poems, there is that one that is actually – it's about um, opening a document – and finding that it is blank and tells you no more than <laughs> and it's supposed to be like some kind of document that you, you were writing like goals into or something like that. And it's just a blank goals document. And you're like, wow, I didn't know then and I don't know now <laughs> kind of thing. And it's, it is very funny, um, but it is definitely not representative of this overall collection. I definitely don't think this collection would have been <laughs> for you, Matthew. Um but there is a later one called Nine Pebbles, and it's nine little short pieces. And I thought I would um, read the first one and one of the very last ones. Um, so the first one, the first pebble is uh, Without Blinking. House a little cold, stomach a little hungry, hands a little empty. The planet is porous, wrote Borges, and so it might be claimed that all men have bathed in the holy Ganges. Sponges alone, that live always filled, may filter this thought without blinking. Like, that's sort of the, like, it's a little bit much, and yet it's also kind of interesting in the way it connected thoughts there. Uh, but then you get to this later one that is Sixth Extinction. It took with it the words that could have described it. That's it. That's the pebble. And I was like, oh. Wow, that one hit a little bit <laughs> when I read that mm. one. Um, so that's like that kind of like balance that I had with this one where sometimes I was like, mm, unpacking, 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 not sure where this is hitting. And then other times I was like, Ooh, felt that one. <laughs> 
Um, so overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was definitely worth the time I got to spend with it. But also, like, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes these are hard. Like, there are a few my brain was just pinging right off of. <laughs> and it's interesting that the tension of uh, you, you described that, like, something has been described in which you have felt it and unable to put words to it. And there's a, a tension between, like, the relatability of the poems versus the, you know, the ability to touch into other people's experiences. So I picked up one piece. The pirate comic? Matthew's making a comic book joke. <laughs> you can ignore him. <laughs> okay. It's very topical. The Netflix show just came out. Yes, yes. <laughs> one piece. Got it. Okay. So I picked up one collection that was, like, 100% love poetry. And I was like, I can see this. And also, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think for sure, like, if you want to get into some some love, like, that, like, initial infatuation kind of love poetry, then Rapture by Carol Ann Duffy, which is a, a 2005 publication. Like, there you go. There, there's a whole bunch of love poetry there. But, like, sometimes... I'm in a different space. It's not all about that first infatuation, that, that complete overwhelmingness of love. I got really into a couple of books um, I read by Maggie Smith that was more about, you know, ongoing grief and motherhood and stuff like that. Why? I don't know why. That's just where I was at. <laughs> I don't know, but I should probably pick up some of those Maggie Smith books because I've read some other stuff by her and, and felt it. So maybe that's something for me to look at. So the the book that I read, I, I started a few, but the, the one that I finished was Alive at the End of the World by Saeed Jones. Uh, I didn't even realize we talked in our Battle of the Book episodes about how we had one book that ended with At the End of the World and another book that ended with At the End of History. Um, and I, yet another one for, for the collection Alive at the End of the World. It's almost like that's a motif people are vibing with, with right now for some reason. That would be a rad book display, I think. Yeah, just end of the world books. <laughs> yes, with end, the end of in the title. A lot of the end of the world by Saeed Jones, who is a writer who I follow online. We are former um, Twitter. I think we were briefly Twitter mutuals. Um, <laughs> uh, but I've always enjoyed his writing. Um, I... I feel like he was i first when i first encountered him he was maybe a writer for buzzfeed this was a while ago though he has a lot more writing credits since then uh and this is not his first collection of poetry he's had other collections and i think also a memoir but this is actually the first one of his that i have have picked up and, and read uh and it felt like about time because i have been um interested in his writing for so long and this collection um, was published in 2022. Um, and I think based on the title, expected uh, it to be more more related to uh, COVID-19 than, than it was. I, I feel like that was not really, it, it could have been, if, I think if you offer this to someone and told them it was written in 2018, they would believe you. Um not not explicitly about that at all. Um, a lot of uh, poetry about grief, uh, about pain, um, and and about sort of the existential end of things. Um, there's definitely 
um, uh, I mean, a lot of specific personal grief um, for like the loss of, of his mother, um, but also some cultural grief. There's a lot of, of uh, poems about like black cultural icons um, uh, who, who have passed away in, in recent years uh, and uh, about like just cultural grief around like the, the state of the world, um, racism and homophobia. Um and yeah, I, I feel a little badly that this was lyric poetry. And there's definitely some poems in here that I would think of as, as lyric poetry, I think would fit the definition. But my favorite uh, pieces were a series of, of prose poems. Um, and I don't know how to type it, but uh, there's a series of prose poems in here titled uh, Saeed or the other one. Um, and they're in, in four parts um, and really kind of structure like appear at sort of the quarter marks and the last um, piece in in the book is one of these Saeed and the other ones uh, about um, Saeed, the author, answering a question at uh, like a, a book reading, um, a question from an audience member, uh, and then returning home afterwards and still like feeling sour about it. And um, then encountering another version of himself. Um, and so like, you know, I have a background in poetry, but my favorite poem in this was like a science fiction story, essentially, is how I felt. Um, but I also just thought it was a brilliant, like, framing device, um, like, yeah, structuring the the um, the the collection around it um, gave it this like uh, really um, impactful through line. Uh, that that kept me reading. Um, I will read since I think we have have uh, been reading lines from things. I will read a few lines from a different piece. Um, this is one of the the like cultural icon pieces that I mentioned, uh, titled uh, "Little Richards Listens to Pat Boone Sing Tutti Fruity." And I'll read just I think the first line and the last line. Uh, if I could, and I bet I could, hell, I know I could write a song that killed anyone who tried to wrap their throat around it. Uh, and the last line uh, is, God is the only reason I haven't already held you down and spat the hook into your mouth like a poison that will kill us both. Yeah, some some really great, um, really great lines, really great imagery. Uh, I'm glad I read it. Uh, and I should probably go read his other books. Um, that was Alive at the End of the World by Saeed Jones. It was published by uh, Coffeehouse Press. I think the last collection I wanted to talk about um, is called The World Keeps Ending and the World Goes On by Fanny Choi, and it's a 2022. That theme coming up again. <laughs> Couldn't resist. And this was a very good collection. It's the kind of collection where I couldn't read it straight through. I had to pause every once in a while, both because some of the subject matter is like war and terrible things and... um just to like think about what's going on in each of the pieces and then come back to it later. Uh, but I wanted to read a little bit from one of the examples of uh, the kind of poetry that makes me want to read, read it aloud just because of the way it's using the, the language. It's called, We Used Our Words, We Used What Words We Had. We used our words, we used what words we had to wield, what words we had, we wielded, kneeled, we knelt. And wet, we wrung the wet, the sweat, we racked our lips, we rang for words to ward off sleep, to warn, to want ourselves. Um, and it goes on, and it's great. So there's lots of different 
ways you can enter into what poetry is is doing both as um as language as wordplay as imagery as um that, that those feelings that are hard to describe and so that's why i like poetry thank you for that book report <laughs> You just put such a button on it at the end. It's great. Yeah, I'm probably just going to have to use that as like the intro to the episode so that people don't get the idea that we hate poetry or something. <laughs> I forgot to mention uh, in Alive at the End of the World, uh, there is a section at the end, notes at the end of the world, um, where there are is like context given for, for I don't I don't know if it is all. If it's not all, it is at least most. It is many. Uh, context for many of the poems. So the ones that like reference um, cultural figures, explaining who they are, um, explaining like specific events that inspired various poems. Um, some of them, the note is just, this is a nonfiction poem. Um, there was one that I liked in particular um, that was uh, Extinction was supposed to be a happy carpe diem kind of poem. Uh, and and no no further explanation, but that phrase supposed to be is doing a lot of heavy lifting. I feel, uh, and I just love that. I feel like I hadn't seen that before. Uh, a poet giving um, context in that way. I like that too. Also, that would be helpful occasionally. <laughs> mm, yeah, there are definitely times when I'm reading this and I'm like, 100% this is referring to something, and 100% I have no idea what that is. <laughs> There, there were a few times reading this that I um, like had to. There was like a name that I was like, "Well, I'm going to go Google that name quickly before I finish reading this poem." Um, but uh, I should have just flipped to the back. All right, appeal factors. Um, has anyone read Audre Lorde's poetry? Is not a luxury. No. Oh my gosh, go read it. I seed my time in this appeal factor. Section to to Audre Lorde's classic essay, Poetry is Not a Luxury. All right. Well, there we go. Everybody has a reading assignment. Get on it. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the the quote that, from it that I'm thinking of. I will mention sometimes we have big feelings and poetry helps with big feelings. Whether those big feelings are love or heartbreak or grief or overwhelm or depression. I feel like it is not uncommon for people to come to poetry earlier in their lives and later in their lives, because it can sometimes take a little bit of time and effort to unpack. And when you're raising kids and by, you know, running a household and all the rest of it, trying to stay alive and feed yourself and everybody else that you're responsible for, you don't always have time for that component of things. Um but early in life, you're often like big feels are, you know, a big part of your life. And uh, you're trying to figure out ways to express or explore or explain or see that they are recognized elsewhere in the world. And poetry is often a good place for that. And then I feel like, again, that comes back uh, later in life where you have a little more capacity to sit and think through some of this um, or a little more perspective um, to bring to it. And you can unpack some of these and see a lot of, of interesting ways that they can fit into the world around you, fit into your own life, fit into the experience of just being alive and conscious of things. So I don't think it is uncommon for people to kind of make that like, you know, cycle around in their lives where somewhere early and somewhere a little later, they spend some time with and really appreciating poetry. Um, I have the quote I was thinking of. Uh, and I'll read. I'll read the full 
not the full, not the full essay, but uh, like the few sentences before for context. Uh, for women, then, poetry is not a luxury. It is a vital necessity of our existence. It forms the quality of the light within which we predicate our hopes and dreams toward survival and change, first made into language, then into idea, then into more tangible action. Poetry is the way we help give name to the nameless so it can be thought. Would we read this genre again, or this format? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. It's a huge... The thing about reading a format is it's it's big. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. So, yes. I think I will read lyric poetry again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Book Club for Masochists. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. If you like the show, subscribe so you never miss an episode, and consider giving us a positive rating and or review on your podcast app of choice. And if you've already done that, thank you. For all our URLs and social media accounts, the forward our name is a numeral. You can go to our website at bookclub4m.com, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash bookclub4m, and find us on Instagram at bookclub4m. Our email address is bookclub4m at gmail.com. On our website, you can find show notes that will provide links to things we mentioned, social media info for everyone who appeared on this episode, and our genre-based book lists of titles by authors of color. You can suggest a genre or format, I suppose, or a title for us to read or request a recommendation from us. Uh, we have a form you can fill out on our website or you can send us an email. No promises on reading your suggestion, but we will give you a recommendation if you ask for one. And for this one, if you send us a, a limerick about Book Club for Masochists, we might just read it out on the podcast. We will definitely. Well, I guess it's unless it's like really. I was going to say, if it's really rude or crude, we might might not be able to. No, like I'm still fine with that. It's just like. <laughs> it, depends, it depends how many we get. You could also send us a haiku or a sinquain. Yeah. <laughs> Your other favorite poetry form. I'll accept any thereof. I used to write a lot of sinquains. Um, all opinions are our own and do not reflect our places of employment if they exist. Our theme music is To Arrakis by Dark Sun from the Free Music Archive. New episodes are the first and third Tuesday of every month. Join us again on Tuesday, September 19th, when it's time for our One Book, One Podcast episode, as we discuss the novel Upright Woman Wanted by Sarah Gailey. Then on Tuesday, October 3rd, get ready for Halloween with us, because we'll be talking about the genre of horror. And yes, legitimately, it was randomly selected by rolling dice. I know. This is the true delight. This is this is fate. Yes, it's fate. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often where we get like a relevant genre, but it has happened this month. Yep, it's great. Spooky town. And I did a silly voice without Matthew even needing me to needing to, to prompt me to do so <laughs> in the episode of Deaths. Pause for Googling. I was like, are we having technical difficulties or just thinking really hard? Good evening and welcome to the Midnight Library.